Welcome back. This week on the podcast, I talk with Ben Burgess. Ben is an author, he's a journalist, and he's a philosophy instructor. And before I get into his intro, we got to talk about Engineered Sleep. Engineered Sleep is an amazing partner of mine, and the synergy is so perfect because I understand how important sleep is, and they understand how important sleep is. And their main goal is to work with their customers on finding the best mattress for them so they get the best night's sleep possible. And when you're sleeping better, you're getting better sleep, you're going to be performing better on a daily basis. It's really the number one thing you could focus on to perform to perform better on a daily basis. So reach out to them and use promo code LIVE10. You'll get 10% off your order. You can either just give them a call Go to their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina, or visit their website, engineeredsleep.com, and use promo code LIVE10. Or if you talk to them in person or over the phone, just mention the podcast, and you'll get 10% off your order. But most importantly, you're going to get an amazing mattress, and you're going to start sleeping better, and in turn, performing better on a daily basis. So, to um, to my guest, Ben Burgess, he um, I had heard about him in the past, and had been listening to some of his interviews, and his... His stance and his point of view on politics and the left and a lot of things that are extremely controversial, he brings logic to. Um, and, I, and like I said, I thought it was very refreshing to hear where he was coming from. Um, so I, I wanted to have him on to kind of educate me on a lot of things politically um, that, you know, I'm, I'm not super political, but, you know, I, I feel like that's something I need to better understand. And a lot of what we hear on the news or um, from the mainstream media is, you know, very um, one-sided, I would say, or the extreme. So um, he brings a lot of logic to it, and um, he's very level-headed. And in a lot of ways, I wish, you know, we heard more individuals like him talk about politics because um, I think we would get a lot, lot more done. Um, but here's my conversation with Ben. If you enjoy it, please give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Ben Burgess. Ben, man, thank you so much for joining me today. I've I've never, I haven't had a conversation like this on yet, but first off, thank you for joining me. How's your day? Uh, my day is very good. How's yours? It's good, man. It, it's a little rainy. It, is it raining in Atlanta? Uh, it was raining in Atlanta last night. Uh, it's not raining right now, but uh, I just left to go take the dog to a vet appointment and like it's pretty it's still pretty wet <laughs> nice uh, all right so to start off i guess if you could just tell my listeners maybe mm -hmm. your elevator pitch about where you, what you are and who, what you do sure so i am an adjunct philosophy professor at morehouse college and I am a columnist for Jacobin Magazine, which is probably the main, uh, definitely the main uh, democratic socialist magazine in the United States. And, uh, and I, also, uh, I also wrote some books and, uh, you know, most, well, not technically most recently, but the most recent one is like an academic book that 20 nerds will read. So don't worry about that one. But the uh, <laughs> most recently in terms of a book that anybody's going to read, uh, uh, this thing, uh, Christopher Hitchens, what he got right, how he went wrong, and why he still matters. Yes. What What is the uh, What was the reason he wrote that book? Yeah, I wrote that book because Hitchens is somebody who always fascinated me. I used to read him in the Nation a million years ago when he had the uh, his Minority Report columns, uh, and I always thought he was a really compelling writer. I uh, didn't always agree with him, uh, and after September 11th, which happened when I was a, uh, that was like my junior year of college. Uh, I started to really disagree with him. Uh, but then, uh, and then he kind of dropped off my radar for a while for the most part. And then in the late 2000s, he kind of came back on the radar during the new atheist period, you know, when he was doing all of these debates about religion. And I actually often really liked and found compelling a lot of, you know, aspects of what he had to say about that. Uh, and so he's somebody I always had really severely mixed feelings about. Mm -hmm. And since uh, we just passed the the ten year anniversary of his death, which is when the book came out, you know, I, I you know I thought this would be a good time to kind of like people have had a little bit of time for the sort of um, 
emotional reactions, positive or negative, to cool down a little bit, to you know, to sort of maybe take like a more steady-eyed look at the guy and what was good and bad about him. With with you, with it kind of exactly what you just said, I discovered you when you went on Rogan. I guess a couple months mm-hmm. ago now, or a couple weeks ago. And uh, a few found, weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, and I found your take on a lot of topics like really refreshing, right? It wasn't had to be this way it had to be that way it was very like almost open-minded and conversational and like you said you just said with with hitchens like you had things you disagreed with you found some things you ended up agreeing with so you had this like battle back and forth about you know maybe if you liked him or, or you didn't like him and diving into your content and you know a lot of stuff you've been putting out i was you know really impressed by what your idea is and what your you know, take on a lot of these controversial topics are. And the the book I think Rogan was brought you on about was the mm-hmm. one you wrote about canceling comedians while mm-hmm. the world is on fire, which, you know, when you think about it, it is crazy. We, we worry about so many things we probably shouldn't be worrying about when all these other things are going on um, that probably should get more of our attention. With with that book, what was your purpose mm-hmm. of writing that book or your position going into that book? Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually really funny in a lot of ways, actually, that, that I was invited to talk about that book on Rogan at that time because uh, I, I had been saying to people for a while that it was it was like the funniest possible demonstration of the point of the book that are, you know, certainly at least the illustration of the title, right? You know, that phrase, you know, that um, that for so many of the weeks before then, like the United States and Russia were closer to the brink of World War III than any time mm-hmm. since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And during that time, we had like two weeks of news cycles about Joe Rogan. So I'm okay, something something weird's going on here, right? You know, it's like this, <laughs> this, seems, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think the book was about a couple of things. Uh, in a sort of immediate sense, it was about my frustration with a lot of people who my perception was are people who, broadly speaking, like big picture, agree with me politically, right? You know, who want who want the basic things that I want. You know, mm-hmm. that's that I, I want a more economically equal society. I don't think the United States should be fighting all these wars around the world. You know, I, I think everybody should have healthcare. I think workers should have more power at the workplace, all that stuff that I care about. Right. Uh, and who say they agree with all of that, but end up getting sucked into what I would see as cultural war distractions or who end up, um, you know, who end up getting kind of um, deflected into this politics of, this sort of weird personal morality, you know, like, 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 uh, uh, you know, using like what somebody tweets to decide, you know, whether they're a good person or a bad person. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and I think, and I find all that incredibly toxic and also incredibly counterproductive because if you want to achieve any of those things that I was talking about, you know, then you, uh, you know, you're the only possible way to do that. Right. Cause, cause you're going against very entrenched interests, you know, so you have to find a way to appeal to you know the majority of ordinary people and you're just not going to do that if you come off like a weird overgrown hall monitor (laughs) where in your idea did that sort Mm -hmm. of start has that always been there and now it's just gotten louder or has it has that Mm. population grown yeah i think a little bit of each i think that some of it is certainly a result of changing technology that um you know, it used to be like, you know, look, it used to be that you'd just be at home yelling at your TV and uh, and now everybody could yell at everybody very easily, you know? So, uh, so that's definitely, that's definitely part of the problem, but that's a, that's not just a problem with the left. That's a society wide uh, problem uh, that we live in a really alienated uh, society where many people, you know, feel really atomized maybe most connected to other people online in some cases where people um, have, um, you know, where people often feel really powerless in terms of uh, impacting the real world. Uh, And so, you know, I think one of the ways that gets channeled sometimes is if you can't win fights that actually matter, you you pick fights you can win. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you're just trying to, you know, 
like if you're just trying to sort of shame one person or get somebody fired or get somebody deplatformed, right? I mean, those are very winnable battles. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, because because they don't really threaten anybody's interest. I mean, besides like the individual you're going after, right? Like there, yeah. there's, there's no, you know, like there's no sense in which like that's bad for corporate profits. That's totally fine. Uh, so uh, so I think I think a lot of it ends up getting, getting kind of sucked in uh, that way. And I do think, and again, I don't want to exaggerate because I know that all of these things, you know, we're have fuzzy boundaries. We're talking about trends, mm-hmm. um, and it's not like you couldn't find antecedents to some of what I'm worried about in in other, you know, like twenty years ago, whatever. Sure. Right? I'm sure you, you know, of course, of course you could, right? But but I think that, uh, but I think there are a couple of reasons maybe why it's. Uh, why it's worse now uh then some of that has to do with the technology itself and some of the bad incentives that are built into you know social media platforms uh, and again this is you know this is just like that aspect of it is just universal right there's there's the you know you could find a million examples of like right wingers trying to like you know get a barista fired for saying you know fuck trump at starbucks or something like that right you know that's uh the, you know like that's that's all over the place but uh, but then what i'm particularly worried about is the left not because i think the left is worse in any way mm-hmm. but because i want the left to win and i and I, I think this stuff is incredibly counterproductive and i also think that when you're in a position of of being you know the um of being the opposition of like trying to convince people, you know, of, yeah. of, of what you think, you know, right. That, that you just can't afford to, uh, to do this stuff. And so uh, I think as far as the left goes, I think there is a longer term thing here that has to do with uh, the long-term decline of the labor movement, certainly with, uh, with, with the, the ways that the democratic party has changed over the last several decades with the, you know, end of the cold war, because not that I was a, you know, I mean, whatever was i mean i was like nine right you know but like not that i you know would have been uh, a uh, a fan of the uh, you know of the soviet system for all sorts of obvious reasons right but at least while that was going on there was this widespread sense that these big structural issues about how to organize the society were like on the table politically and after that right in the in the 90s especially um you know there was this sort of widespread sense that it was all this sort of big battles over, you know, over, you know, capitalism and socialism and sort of big ideas about how to organize society were kind of over and, and, you know, and, and some kind of liberal capitalism would won and all that was left to was to just sort of argue about the details. And, um, and so, and again, you know, I think, and we've had this extremely long-term decline of, uh, of, you know, labor organization, right. You know, the old, like, we're down to like 6.7% or something of workers, you know, or are even unions in the private sector in the United States. And so all of this means that I think there's just this deep, deep sense of powerlessness that, uh, that, that, you know, leads a lot of people, right? Like I always say, like, you know, think about like Noam Chomsky, like I love Chomsky, but like, if you read, you know, if you like pick up any Chomsky book, right, there's, there's never going to be a point where, like on page 197 or something, he says, just to be clear, if there are socialist government of power in the United States, here's how I think they should deal with this situation, right? Like that that's never going to happen. And part of that is for an understandable reason, which is that, you know, during the decades when, you know, they were politically formative, you know, for, for Chomsky, um, that would have just sounded like a weird delusional waste of time i mean that'd be like saying you know, when i'm the you know when i'm the emperor of the universe here's what i'll do right you know that so uh but i think that what all this means is that i think a lot of people got very used to seeing sort of left politics not as part of a serious attempt to change the material world but as a sort of symbolic moral protest against how bad the world is mm-hmm. and i think that leads to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about because you can have uh because if you don't, you know, if all you're really trying to do is make this kind of symbolic moral protest, then um, that very easily lends itself to, uh, you know, you're not really trying to like build bridges and find ways that you can, you know, that, that, that you can, uh, you can win more people over to your side, right? You know, because what's the point, right? You know, you're, you're just trying to make the sort of strongest possible protest against the way things are. Yeah. And I, I think it lends itself to a lot of this behavior. And even now, when I think things are not as bad, 
and in you know in a certain sense right as they were right that they that that i think there are more openings for uh you know for like serious left politics now than there there used to be i mean i don't want to exaggerate like it's um i mean obviously you know they like obviously the mountain to climb here is still ridiculously high but like there are like why is it like there are like six or seven you know members of congress now you know who call themselves socialists there's mm-hmm. you know like the you know like the situation is not nearly as dismal as it was but i think that a lot of the bad habits from before have sort of lingered on when you put that together with these sorts of broader cultural and technological changes in the in the larger society you get this kind of perfect storm of stupidity that i was i was like reacted to in the when i wrote the book and obviously I mean, there is the opening chapter of the book is about comedy specifically because uh, that just seemed like a really like vivid, crazy example to me, right? You know, people who want to spend their time like making sure everybody, you know, everybody knows that, you know, whatever, you know, David, Dave Chappelle is, you know, is problematic because they think he is or whatever, you know, sure. but like, uh, but also like that title is definitely like, I think, I think it definitely speaks to the frustration that I was feeling when I wrote the book, you know, because, cause, cause, cause that is, that is definitely something of a middle finger of a title. Like, you know, like, like, no, come on guys, this is, you know, like be less dumb, like pay attention to this. Exactly. I mean, you said it, there's one word, like you said, is counterproductive and mm-hmm. it's not any solution based thinking, right? We're just, it's just like trying to accomplish one thing that doesn't really do much at all. Um, and like progressing whatever you're, you're going towards was there it might be the comedians right from the title was there an example or something that kind of was your breaking point like this is absurd mm-hmm. like i just got to start writing about it yeah uh there were a few things that that kind of came together for that um and then there were some more that kind of were actually happening while i was already writing the book uh that so one that was like a particularly kind of a basic example I was writing the book actually involves um, a previous Joe Rogan controversy when uh, he, just before the Iowa caucus, uh, he, on a show, a guest, it was actually very wise, I'm not sure, but anyway, a guest asked him uh, who he was going to vote for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a very Joe Rogan-ish, you know, sort of affable, you know, like stoner gym guy, you know, kind of way, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, probably Bernie Sanders, you know, and then like he goes on to do this minute about how, you know, like Bernie seems like he has a lot of integrity and et cetera, et cetera. And it was kind of funny, actually, because he started off the whole thing by saying, look, any human being in the world, if you cobble together their worst moments, you know, you can make them look like a terrible person. Sure. Uh, and But he doesn't seem to have a lot of them. Then he goes on, you know, he, he's like got a minute of being positive about Bernie. And then the Bernie campaign um, cuts that as a clip and like, you know, it like tweets that out, you know, cause like, you know, the world's most popular podcaster who has a vast legion of fans who might not even, you know, vote in democratic primaries normally, right. Has, has just, has just, you know, sort of endorsed you. And like, yep. of course you're going to play that up. And there were people who were, um, there were all these people who were like mad at them for like taking the endorsement, like, uh, and granted, some of that was, you know, a lot of that was bad faith and ginned up by other, you know, supporters of other candidates. But like, I don't know that I, 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 I knew some examples of people who it was definitely not bad faith. I think they were just kind of idiots, you know, that like they, that uh, there were, there were people who are, you know, podcasters. I won't, I won't mention by name because I, I, you know, my intention here is not to start, you know, to start sure. anything, you know, but like, you know, there are people who like just on a grassroots level who had that little, you know, democratic socialist red rose emoji in their Twitter handles, you know, who are, <laughs> uh, you know, who were upset that he was accepting the endorsement of this terrible problematic person, Joe Rogan. And that just seemed amazing to me because even aside from the fact that, I mean, I obviously, um, you know, I mean, you just saw me spend, you know, three hours having a very friendly, you know, chat over glasses of bourbon with him. But like, mm-hmm. uh, so I obviously find, you know, I obviously find him much more likable than, you know, than, than some other people do. But forget that for a second, right? Like, let's say he really was just that bad. Right? <laughs> like, okay. Um, the, uh, I think the article that Michael Brooks and I wrote about this at the time of Jack, and then, you know, I quoted Mark Pocan, who, uh, who said, uh, 
I, I tend to find that elections go better if more people support you. And like that, that does kind of that does kind of sum it up, right? You know, and and it's and it's particularly like it, it's just like there's just something nutty about this. It's like okay, well, hold on. So if you have somebody who has some views you like and has some views you don't like, and you know, is you know, you think is too prone to conspiracy theories and this, that, and the other thing, which and you know probably doesn't have a completely internally consistent worldview because you know because like you know. Most people don't, yep. right? You know that they like. Um, and by the way, everything about you know is is some is like fairly open to like some like core lefty economic ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe has some impulses we don't like on some other issues, but it's kind of willing to hear you know all yeah. that stuff. By the way, the, that description that I just gave would apply to like fifty million people. Right? <laughs> like that's you know like that's I, I mean good luck. Right, you know, having some sort of successful left political program if you're just going to write off everybody, you know, who matches that description, you know. But like, uh, but yeah, if you if you have you know if you have somebody who has that profile who, let's say they they could you know they have enough sort of impulses in various directions you know that like there's something to be worked you know that there are things that could pull in various ways right you know that they, they could break in a different way, mm-hmm. but then they support you. That's you know that seems like winning you're right it could be it should be gaining right. you know a population or a community that maybe wouldn't have voted for you or thought about voting for you before and i found myself you know having to be quiet sometimes around friends and family when yeah. these topics come up and yeah, anybody any public figure they'll take a 30 second clip and then they'll automatically make up their opinion about you know that person's views which probably is the root of a lot of the problems we're talking about. No, I mean, for, for sure. I mean, I think that this, I think that the problem, I mean, one problem here is that um, people are like really trained in the current media environment to just kind of, you know, react to the, the vibe they get from clips. Uh, I mean, it's the same way that like for, for print media, um, like, nine you know anytime that you see like huge numbers of people getting mad about like some some written article um almost always it'll be like if you like just read like 20 of the tweets by people getting mad about it it become very clear very quickly that um nobody read the article right what they're reacting to is like the title which you know the writer doesn't even write, you know, like like like, like an editor writes that, uh, or um, you know, may, and maybe the title plus a couple of screenshots, right? right? That's that's what that's what people that's what people react to, and it's and it's kind of the same thing here, you know, because and, and again, I think this, I think there is a sense in which this is not unrelated to what we were talking about before, because I think that, I think it's a little bit of a sort of broader version throughout the whole culture of the kind of more specific problem with the left we were talking about earlier, which is that people um, that sort of like what, like something like Twitter offers people, right. Uh, Not just Twitter, obviously, but that's like a vivid example is this sort of weird false sense of power that like, you know, that you get to like, you know, you get to like kind of have your say, you know, like like, give your jab in there, you know, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's and it's like because of the two hundred and eighty character limit, like every single person all the time is trying to do the same affect, which is this, which is just kind of this like sort of like little snarky, punchy, you know, like immediate thing, you know, because that's what that's what they that's what the uh, the constraints of the platform reward, and 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 it's like you know, I think in the nineties, right? I mean, I think one of the reasons the talk radio was so uh, was so popular, right? very unfortunately popular from my perspective uh, is that uh, it was, is that it gave people that sense that, you know, you could at least call in and there was some chance that you could, you know, that, yeah. that you could actually have your say and like interact, you know, interact with Rush Limbaugh or whoever. And, uh, and now, I mean, everybody just, just gets to do that. And because, I mean, look, even if I, I mean, there's a sense in which it's all kind of, I mean, it's like this, it's like this hall of mirrors thing where it's like sort of illusions all the way down. Right. You know, cause it's like, okay, mm-hmm. like if I write, 
an article for some magazine, like sort of saying what I think about some issue. Um, there is a sense in which even that is like kind of a weird illusion that I'm like exercising some sort of control over it, right? Like that, because that, it's like, well, what, what am I, what does that do, right? You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm just like, you know, I mean, ultimately I'm just talking, right? Uh, then, um, and, but like it could like scratch that itch, right? You know, you're mad about something and like, you know, and you, you write it. Now, by the way, I think it's a much more emotionally healthy way of scratching it. Like if you're writing like 2,000 words than if you're writing 280 characters, oh, yeah. you know, like, you know, but like it's, it's still, it's still a way of scratching that like sort of I'm mad about this itch. Uh, but at least with that, uh, there's some sort of like, there's some sense that like maybe, right? And there are a lot of babies there here, here, right? There are a lot of ifs in this, but like if that helps influence how some other people see it, then if, 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 right? Then like maybe they'll actually take some sort of political action that's actually going to address whatever you're originally upset about, you sure. know, when you when you when you wrote the article, right? That's the that's the hope. Uh and I mean, and I do think that that's, um, you know, and obviously I think it's worth doing, right? Or wouldn't spend my time doing it. But like, I, I do, I think it's important to realize how distant even that is mm-hmm. from like actually like doing something that concretely, you know, yeah. impacts the world. Uh, and especially because once you get down to the level of, you know, fuck you send tweet right you know then like it's it's not there's, there's no like even that like even that no longer makes sense there's no if 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 there right you know it's just like purely you get the emotional release yeah. you know from like expressing what you think and and i guess i guess one thing i would just say about this is that i think that i do find it frustrated that there is this kind of higher level version of that where people have like again, all people are really trained to be looking for in like sort of media things is that emotional release from like, you know, you got to you got to denounce the bad thing. Yeah. Uh and and I think though that that filters up to the point where like even when people are doing things like writing articles or having podcasts or whatever, they're not really thinking about like, okay, who am I trying to convince of what <laughs> in in the effort to like actually somewhere down the line, if, 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 if like have some sort of political impact on the world, right? Like, so, and so like, I think the the Rogan thing, it's a perfect example that like, you know, I think most people, like I think most leftists liked the the appearance I did on, on, on Rogan as far as I could tell, right? You know, like like, like none, of the, none of the tweets about were ratioed, whatever, you know, but like, yeah. um, but, you know, there, there was certainly a noisy minority that wasn't. And I think if you look at what they said, I mean, some of it, there were actual disagreements, you know, with things that I said, and, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm sure. Right. You know, that that's yeah. fine. But like, but quite a bit of it wasn't actually people disagreeing with anything no. that I said in those three hours. They, they, they were just upset that like, I just said it the way that you would say it to like a friend at the bar, like, instead of like, you know, I didn't like yell at him or, you know, like denounce him. Like when, when I, when I disagreed with him about stuff, because that's what they want. That would give them that sense of emotional yeah. release, even though there's like no possible strategic value. Like, like, again, I find the guy genuinely likable, but like, even if I didn't, right? Like there's no possible strategic value to that, right? How is that, how is that going to serve anyone or anything? Like, cause, cause it's certainly any normal person who's listening to JRA, they're, they're, you know, they're listening to it, you know, presumably in most cases, I mean, obviously every show has people who hate listen to it, but like, you know, they have a, like in most cases, right. I mean, they basically like the guy too, right. You know, and, and so, if you're doing the things that people want it, right. Which you're like, not just like, well, you know, here's how I see the, uh, here's how I see the trans youth thing. That's like a little different or why I have a different perspective on it. Right. But like, if you're not doing that, but you're doing the like, God damn it, you're a transphobe and you're a terrible person. Right. <laughs> like, um, then you're certainly not reaching anybody. You know, nope. you're, you're not like, like, like that's not going to move the needle with anybody who you want to actually change their mind about that issue the only thing that's for would be making us feel better. You know, too, when, when you went on and I mean, I really enjoyed the conversation, listen to the whole thing, but I was interested to see how some of the left reacted, right? Cause you're, you know, you're more involved in those communities and, and to see mm-hmm. how 
they would react. And so I went to some of your comments, your Instagram posts, which had a bunch of comments, a couple of your, you know, Twitter posts. And like yeah. you said, the, the people that they weren't really disagreeing with you, they were just almost yelling at you for like, you know, you could tell they hadn't even listened or watched it. They were just like angry at you. So they were like, you know, upset at you for even going on there, talking with them. It wasn't any, you know, about y'all's content. It was more just like upset that you were there and it was nothing yeah. that was going to solve any issue or had any type of solution to the end of it, which like you said, and with social media and you, mm -hmm. you, you, uh, you touched on this, people get that sensation or that feeling, you know, it's science-based now that this is why people do that a lot of times mm -hmm. to get that relief or get that feeling, mm -hmm. um, of sending that tweet out. And, and, uh, I mean, that's a whole different issue in itself, the way a lot of these yeah. platforms are designed for people. No, absolutely. And I, and I mean, I think that the, and I think it's really the book that I really recommend people read about this is the, uh, so you've been publicly shamed, uh, by, uh, by John Rodson and, um, and he has, uh, you know, he has a nice thing at the end of the book where he's talking, he's talking about, you know, feedback loops. And, and anyway, I'm not going to, I just talked about this a little bit on the Jerry thing. I, I won't spend, I won't do a whole thing about it now, but I'll just say like, you know, check that out or check out. I, I wrote a review of that book and, uh, you've but been I, publicly I, shamed. Uh, oh, sorry. So you've been publicly shamed. Oh, got it. Yeah. So, um, but like, but yeah, I, I think that's like, especially with like the likes, the retweets and all that stuff, like it, it has um, like what the platform really incentivizes is the, you know, is just like sort of having those two second reactions to things because, you know, you get that immediate validation, mm -hmm. right? You know, of like the, the electronic version of like the little clap on the back, you know, like, yeah, good job. You tell them, you know, it's just like addiction or something like you're like fighting yeah. to get that sensation. Yeah. Live life in motion podcast is brought to you by engineered sleep. Engineered sleep is a mattress manufacturer and they are based out of Greenville, South Carolina. They have been making mattresses for as long as I can remember, and their main goal is to make finding the quality mattress for you as easy as possible. Um, they have a showroom in Greenville, but you can also visit them at their website, engineeredsleep.com. If you go to their website, use code LIVE10, and you will get 10% off. As you guys know, sleep is the number one thing you need to focus on for good health. And it all starts with your mattress. So stop putting it on the back burner. Go get yourself a mattress from Engineered Sleep and start living a better life. Right. You have a good amount of subscribers. Is there anybody uh -huh. within that I want to say maybe has more reach mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. trying to like help get rid of a lot of this nonsense uh -huh. on the back end? Does that question make sense? I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, what although I, mean? like, I think I feel like somebody just needs uh -huh. to be like, hey guys, like this is enough. Uh -huh. <laughs> like we gotta <laughs> focus on what's important here. Like we we're freaking out over uh -huh. the dumbest stuff and we're not making any ground up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in, in some, I think in different ways, you know, to, to different extents. I mean, I think that like, um, I think that uh, the late Michael Brooks was somebody who had like a really big platform and, and was, um, and, and was like, did a lot of, you know, did a lot of that, you know, and I, I think that there are, um, you know, I think that there are people um, I would, I would point to like, uh, and like, and I'm not even like, you know, like the people that I'm naming here aren't necessarily the people who people would necessarily clump together normally. Right. You know, cause, mm -hmm. cause, cause they, you know, disagree with each other about things or they might seem differently aligned about some things, but I think there are people who in one way or another do some of what you're talking about. Right. You know, I, sure. I, I think like, uh, I think like, um, you know, crystal ball, Kyle Kalinske, um, uh, Anna Kasparian, I think that has, is actually, uh, might be writing something about this, uh, that there are, you know, like, like, I think there are, I think there are some people, I mean, obviously not enough from my perspective, you know, but, uh, but, but I think there are, 
there are some people who are making some effort to to do this and i also think like in that sort of direct way you're talking about right you know like sure. like ed ed just sort of like actually actually kind of tried to you know to make an effort to communicate that to people and then um and then i think there's also a sort of slightly different approach which is sort of um which i guess i would associate with like jacobin magazine you know like Bhaskar sankara who's the editor of that which is uh best summed up by well actually this is also a michael brooks line but you know he said um you know, I remember him, him saying once, just sort of politely but firmly refusing to have anything to do with all of that. You know, <laughs> like, uh, and uh, and, I, and I think that is that is in many ways kind of the jacket approach, right? Like, like for the most part, like the magazine's very wary of like picking fights about stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? You know, but like it, it, it's also very very clear in terms of what it does publish in terms of in terms of of who it employs and all that stuff that like doesn't care about any of that stuff and and like you know is very willing to like you know see somebody like get very mad at some like lefty writer and just kind of like you know roll their collective eyes and like keep going you know and uh and and i think there's some value in both right like i think there's i think there's some value in both like directly addressing it right you know kind of kind of trying to like speak those hard truths about it like um so uh is this is somebody else has been no longer with us for uh uh, several more years actually uh but like mark fisher um uh wrote a uh wrote an essay about it that i quote a bunch in my in my book called uh exited the vampire castle uh where he you know he's like very directly talking about it uh and i think um so i think there i i obviously think that there's some value to that right because mm-hmm. i have tried to do that uh but then i also think there's some value it just sort of like shrugging it off and like making it obvious that you don't care about any of it. Right. You know, but like, but like not, not even really giving it the oxygen. And I think like, which of those is the better approach kind of depends on context. Very true. And that's a good point. Like not even giving it your time could be the best way of Uh, (laughs) helping it go away yeah and, and, and again I, I think there's a role for both i think that there's sure. like a there's this sort of I, I think it's worth having times and places where you you sort of like do make it very clear and like and, I, and this is even why like because i know you know it's the last thing i'll say about this because after this would start to feel self-indulgent but like i think that the uh but like if you think about those reactions to the jre appearance right like that the another one of the complaints sometimes was like, oh, well, but you know, you're, you're going on there, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to criticize the left. Right. So, so what's, what's um, like, that's, you know, that's bad, you know, because you know, whatever, right. You know, that they have like, that's, you know, you're just sort of reinforcing, you know, people's, people's dislike of it or something. And I mean, okay. One, I would point out that for every Sam who watches all three hours, right. I'm sure there are like, 200 people who watch maybe <laughs> the first 45 minutes uh, and, uh, and and those first 45 minutes are like a hundred percent like it's it's all you know economic inequality healthcare mm-hmm. you know Very post true. office teachers unions all that stuff right but then like also though the other thing i point out is that i actually don't think that this is something that needs to be kept I mean, I don't think it can be kept, but I don't think it even should be kept, uh, like sort of, you know, within the family, you know, because I think that, because um, I actually think it's useful, uh, like not just, because I mean, I, like I was thinking about, and sorry, this this seems like a tangent, it's going to come back to bear in just a second, right? You know, but wow. like, because um, I was thinking about this, like after the the book came out, you know, last, uh, last spring, you know, that because, you know, there were, you know, a million people got upset about it based on the title and didn't read it, of course, you know, and, and a lot of the people who I most would have liked to read it to like sort of convince them to stop acting this way, of course, didn't read it, you know, but, um, but I was thinking, it's like, okay, but like, what's the value in somebody who is maybe not acting in the ways that I'm criticizing here reading it? And, and I think there are a couple, right? And I think both of them would also go for something like talking about it on, on JRE, which, are the one 
people who maybe are part of the left, uh, but are starting to feel demoralized by all this stuff mm-hmm. or who uh, are, have maybe even started drifting out of it, you know, because, you know, they don't like all this stuff, I think sort of sending that signal that like, no, you, you don't have to, you know, like you don't actually have to like any of this stuff, right. You know, to, to, um, you know, to be on the team here, right. You know, that there's, there's, there's a, there's an option where you reject all of it, right. And, and still, and still keep it up. And I think that's a useful signal to send. Uh, and, and I, I certainly know there have been people who told me like they, they, had, um, you know, DSA and a democratic socialist of America that they'd like quit or, you know, they'd like just let their membership lapse and then rejoined after, you know, after they read the book. And then, uh, and then I think it's also a really useful signal to send like actually outside uh, the tent because if I, I think that we really underestimate oftentimes on the left exactly how alienated some of this stuff is uh, to, to people outside the tent, you know, that they, that like, that sort of like, you know, like people who, you know, I mean, maybe kind of like what you said about your sister or whatever, like people who like might, you know, like there might be people who like, you know, maybe like one or two people in their life, they know that they, you know, that they associate with this stuff. And, you know, I'm sure you have a great relationship with your sister, but like in many cases, right. You know, it's like the, it's, it's like they, that stuff is so annoying. They just don't want to talk about politics with those people. Right. And so they never, they, they they sort of never get to the point where they're listening to the rest, Mm -hmm. you know, that they, you know, like it's not because if it's all like, you know, um, if it's all, you know, the, you know, Dave, you know, Dave Chappelle is, is a transphobe and, uh, you know, Joe Rogan, you know, should be, should be deplatformed by Spotify. Headline reading. You know, if if it's all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Then like you never actually get to the point where you're talking about healthcare or anything like that, uh, which which you might actually be way more receptive to. Yeah. Uh, and so so I think that I think that having like so I think there's actually something useful about sending that signal because like the ad to people outside the tent because it's like no no, no but there are there are leftists who hate all this stuff too, right? Mm-hmm. You know that they and I think. Because I think people who think that's a bad idea to like sort of like say that outside the tent, I think are acting as if they think that this is going to be that like me saying it on Joe Rogan, right? Or it is going to be the first indication that anybody has that the stuff exists. Like, oh, what do you what what right? You know, (laughs) right? Exactly. It's like no, trust me. Everybody in the world has heard of all of this before, right? You know, like most people have been thinking it. You're just speaking <laughs> yeah. up about it a little bit. And I think a great point you had on Rogan was about the uh, the Democratic Socialist Convention in Atlanta mm-hmm. and some videos, right? Mm-hmm. Minute videos, 60-second videos came out about, you know, some people in the crowd making, you know, whatever they were saying. Sure. They said some things that, and I love what you said. You're like, well, listen, there was the majority of us that didn't agree with them. <laughs> like, we were... Right sitting at our own table being like, gosh, I wish maybe they wouldn't say that. Or like, we don't agree right. with that, which is a perfect point for people to understand. Cause, cause even I was talking with my fiance about this in the morning is, mm-hmm. you know, at that convention, we yeah. only see these minute clips. So now sure. all of us are thinking, gosh, everybody there is like this, right. but in reality, it was maybe just one or two people that was standing up and like kind of voicing right. their opinion. And a lot of times, the loudest people in the room are what people remember. And then the opinion is now made by the louder people. But yeah, it exactly. The, the yeah. general population there. No, exactly. Like, and, and this is a problem. And this, and this kind of goes back to the earlier point about how there's, there's two, like those two approaches just sort of like shrugging it off and not giving it oxygen or like sort of directly addressing it why there's probably a role for both of those because um, because I think, you know, surely like 99% of people who, you know, like rolled their eyes when they heard that, like mm-hmm. that was it. They just rolled their eyes. And they moved on. Right. You know, and, and like, I understand why I understand perfectly why. Right. Cause it's like, look, you're not, you're not involved in this because like you want to spend your time, like argue with crazy people about whether sure. it's okay to clap. Right. You know, like, you, you know, you're, Vault in it because you you have much bigger fish to fry, right? There are things that you actually really care about, changing society and all this stuff, and so it just doesn't even seem worth it 
you know, to, exactly. to engage with. And, and I, I totally get that. In fact, that was pretty much my attitude for a long time, you know, but like mm -hmm. increasingly why I do think that there's some value, at least in some context to directly addressing it is that I think that this stuff is so off-putting to everybody else that, um, that if you don't actually like speak up about it at some point point, be like, that's not me. Right. You know, that's like, then, then I think, um, then I think, yeah, anybody who's like a casual onlooker, right, will just think, oh, well, that's that's what those guys are like. Yeah, very true. And that's, I mean, I, I kind of told you this in some of our texts beforehand, but like uh, I was never huge into politics, right? It never was something, mm -hmm. honestly, it was hard for me to understand. I wasn't too involved yeah. in it. And, you know, I have I come from a family where I think some have voted left, some have voted right. And I just like, honestly, try and think about what's who's the better candidate? Who do I like better in this term, you know, or, or what's uh, coming up. So a lot, honestly, the last six, eight years has just been like absurd to me. Um, and that's why I felt your, your, you talking about it was so freaking, you know, refreshing to me to hear. And this is kind of a point to maybe one of the biggest issues. I know we're mm -hmm. coming up on time here, but you know, media in general, right. Mm -hmm. I feel like that has, you know, gone in the wrong direction with promoting mm. the right sort of content and material, especially with division. And, and I've told this people before is division, you know, you need two people, right? But I feel mm -hmm. like our media is almost promoting division mm -hmm. in a way. So it's yeah. difficult to wrap my head around that when it's like, we're saying we're divided, but all we're, all I'm hearing is people saying we should be divided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot there. I guess, I guess maybe, maybe the most succinct way that I could answer that is just by pointing people to two things. Uh, so one of them is a article that I wrote. One of them is a book that I didn't write, but I always recommend. So the um, the so the book uh, which the book that I always recommend about this uh, is by Matt, Matt Taibbi. It's called uh, Hate Inc. And it's about the way that media has changed over the course of the last few decades. Uh, and because there's a, so there's a much older book uh, from like the 80s or maybe even 70s, I'm not sure exactly, right? You know, uh, the, by Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman called Manufacturing Consent. Uh, if you uh, if you ever watch uh, Breaking Points, it's that's like a book that's like you can always see behind Crystal on the shelf. It's like this really famous like media criticism of book. And originally, Taibbi wrote Hey Dig like when he started writing it, he was going to write it as like an update to that, right? But then he sort of decided at a certain point that what was wrong with the media now is really different from what was wrong with the media when uh, when Chomsky and Herman were writing. Uh, because what Chomsky and Herman really get it at were the way that like the sort of this kind of conformism, the way that like boundaries of opinion were set in mainstream media that like left out things that shouldn't be left out and all of that. And of course, that's a good and true and important critique. But I think what Taibbi kind of correctly realized when he was writing his books, like, OK, but like that's not the main problem now. Right? Something else is going on sure, now. Right? That they, and. What's changed, I think a lot of it has to do with the way that new technology, among other things, but certainly that has led to the economic collapse of traditional media. So uh, so if you think about like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, it's like 1960, you know, 68 or nine or whatever, right? And, the, uh, and like, you know, Walter Cronkite is going to go on TV and like talk about how the Vietnam War is unwinnable. Then, then it's like, however many people, there are like 70 million people or something watching him, right? And now the things that we think of as like insanely popular, uh, like national news shows, you know, get like maybe a few million people watching it, yeah. right? Like that's, yeah, you know, for sure. if that, right, you know, and, uh, it, no, it is completely crazy. And part of the effect of it and what uh, Taibbi is really talking about in that book is that what's, that the economic incentives are now different, right? You know, because um like if you are, you know, MSNBC or Fox or CNN or whatever, right? Like what's your, what's your, what's your profit incentive now, right? Your profit incentive now 
is not to sort of like seem vaguely respectable in a way that's going to like, you know, help you hold on to your massive audience, right? right? Your profit incentive now is to relentlessly pander to whatever piece of the audience you have left, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and so you end up having, um, and there's a really good, actually, one other recommendation. Uh, there's, I, I mentioned Anna Kasparian earlier. She did a debate um, with, uh, with Ben Shapiro a few months ago where in her, in her side of it, she talks a little bit about some of how this works. And um, she, uh, and, you know, what Taibi is describing, what Anna is describing is this, um, you know, this dynamic where people end up in these weird bubbles because part of the effect of this fragmentation of media is that everybody can, uh, like, there's very little incentive for for journalists to, like, if they sort of in the fog of war when something first happens, if they report something that sort of fits their general narrative and then later it turns out not to be true, there's like very little incentive to like go back and say, oh, actually that wasn't true, <laughs> right? You know, like, uh, it, you know, the networks will sort of correct each other, right? But not themselves. Yeah, and uh, and so I think that there are, I mean, there are like a million examples that we could we do like a whole hour just on that, but like I have a, but then like, I think also a big part of it is, and there are good things and bad things about it, but the bad thing is, everybody can, can curate their own little media diet a la carte, right? You know, that they think they, they can, um, it's like, mm-hmm. he, and so if, and, you know, again, there are good things about this. I mean, that there's like media that is much closer to my politics that like is like has much more reach, right. That would have been true in that older media landscape, right. So there are ideas that I agree with that can get out there more, but like, the thing about this is, look, if you're a conservative and you want to spend all day, every day, right watch it and listen to media but you want all of it to be conservative media no problem right mm-hmm. you know that's that you've got you covered right and if if you're whatever if you're a libertarian if you're a social democrat if you're progressive if you're whatever right like 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 you you've, you've got it right you know you can yeah. you can have you can surround yourself look even if you even if you agree with me right i mean you, you've got the like you know what no problem right i mean there's like 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 jacobin's got a, like a really nice professional looking youtube channel you know it's like <laughs> you know and the the problem with that is that um, it makes it incredibly hard to like get through to somebody in a different bubble, right? Very you know, and, and 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 to reach out to them, uh, which is one of the reasons why I mean I like doing debates as much as possible, you know, because it's like one of the only chances you ever get to talk to somebody else's audience, and and even you know, it's not a debate, but I mean even things like the conversation with Joe Rogan, you know, like like why I think that's important, yeah, and and I think. Um, I mean, that's incredibly important, honestly. Like, we need so much more of that. Oh. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and, and I guess on division, uh, the only other thing I would I would say, as you say, we're coming up to time, but I, no, I think... No, we're good. We can keep going if you can. Uh, uh, yeah, I should actually get off in a minute. I do have another commitment, but I was just going to say uh, that, um, that I have... Uh, that I've got... So I, I wrote something at the end of all right. Well, wow, all right. Uh, time flies. Okay, I guess this was the end of the year before last. But uh, the uh, uh, for uh, for for Jacobin called "We Don't Need a Culture War, We Need a Class War," where that goes directly to this thing about division. Yeah, you know that you're that you're you're talking about, right? You know, because I think that there there tend to be like my big my big pitch on this, right? Like 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 what I think about this this division issue is that not all division is created equal. It depends what kind of division we're talking about, right? You know, so if, uh, and because I think there are things that people, like I think sometimes when people say, oh, the only problem is division, that, you know, like you sort of put everybody in a room to talk and they'll like work it out. You know, I think there are problems with that that I get into in the article, right? There are reasons that I don't entirely buy that. If right? we don't so, need a culture war, we need a class war? Class war. For, yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. makes so, a lot so, of sense. And I've thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, so basically, so basically the, you know, so basically the argument of the article is what we, what we want, what we should want, right? Like in terms of like achieving social progress, division isn't good or bad. It just depends on, it's just depend on, on, on what it's about. Right. You know, like, like whether it's productive. So they have a, so, um, 
because if you basically have people who are divided over, um, you know, what's, uh, you know, what cable news show they watch or what's the, uh, you know, like, like what region of the country they're part, they come from what, you know, what their like cultural sensibilities are, whatever, you know, like then that's a recipe for exactly what we have now, uh, which, which is to say a ever more unequal society where everybody is, you know, working three jobs and struggling and, uh, and, and everybody is constantly mad about people on the, on the other cultural team. Uh, and whereas I think like if, and I mean, whatever, it's way easier said than done, right. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there are a lot of ifs here too. Right. You know, but it's like, I think if you can have, if you can find a way to depolarize around all of that, right. You know, and then, uh, and then repolarize, uh, along the lines of economics, you know, that, that you could actually, that you could actually do something about that larger sort of original problem, you know, that like, what I always say is like, I want people, you know, like if you're, you know, if you're a sort of lefty progressive person, right? Like I want you to be less mad at your brother-in-law who, you know, doesn't wear a mask at the grocery store and like has, you know, and like has, doesn't, you know, share all of your beliefs. And I want you to be, and I want you like to both be more mad at your boss, right? You know, that, that's the, uh, that, you know, like, I think that's what would actually be productive. That's uh I mean, that's, that is a great point. And I've thought about that too. It's, it's the, the division, some division is good. And a lot of times right. division can create opportunity and progress and change, but it just depends on what division we're focusing on. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, especially if it's going to be, especially anything that lends itself to 50, 50 division, you just, you know, you just fight about that forever, you know, <laughs> and, and nothing, and nothing really changes. Right. I mean, it's like that they, you know, you can just have, uh, cause and it, like nobody really has an incentive to, to, to change much of anything. Right. I mean, like that, like as long as everybody's like riled up forever, you know, then, you know, that keeps the, that keeps the eyeballs on the screens for media content, you know, that, that, that keeps, that Very keeps true. people, that keeps people voting, you know, in elections that keeps, you know, like, like, like that's sort of, you know, good for everybody in media and politics. It's just like really, really bad for like actually, for actually getting anything done that would help most people. So true. And that's another point to, to media in general, like you said, and that was a great point you said about they're just trying to hang on. So now they're just putting out whatever they can continue to get their, their following to, to have or, or their viewers to have in, mm-hmm. And uh, as we go through the next few years and, you know, the next, you know, presidential election is 2024. Yeah. Do you believe it'll be Trump Biden? And if it's not Biden, do you have any candidates that <laughs> I could look into or people should look into? Uh, yeah, that one's hard. I think I think it probably will be. Um, I mean, I think it probably will be Trump Biden. Um, like, I, I mean, the only way it would be, I think, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's, uh, we've got, you know, we've got almost two years, mm-hmm. uh, to really, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, we've got almost two years and it could be, you know, a lot could change. Right. I mean, like if, if after the last, you know, I mean, after the last few years, right. You know, like of, of, uh, everything that's happened, uh, I have, a, you know, I feel silly making confident predictions about sure. anything, you know, but like if, if I have, um, so, you know, cause like, yeah, right. I mean, like the say the equivalent amount of time, right. Like the, uh, you know, from, uh, well, I guess just over two years ago, COVID right. To started. now, yeah. right. There's, there's COVID there's like almost world war three. There's, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, there's a lot, right. You know, January 6th, you know, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it's like, look, a George lot of unpredictable. Yeah, all that. yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, a lot of a lot could change in ways I'm sure we couldn't predict right now. But if everything sort of roughly keeps going the way it is, then it seems like it's seems like the only way the Democrat wouldn't be Biden is if he either died or like became so incapacitated, mm-hmm. you know, he just he just decided uh, he just decided not to run or he couldn't run, right? Like and maybe I'm wrong about that, right? Maybe there could be a successful like primary challenge, but which I actually really wish there would be because I, I think um, 
because I think if it's Biden, Trump probably Trump is going to win. You know, which which yeah. I think would be a horrible outcome, but it just seems like realistically what would happen. Like, that's what we're at. You know, like why can't we have a brilliant fifty-year-old like? I don't know. This is a joke me and my friends have a lot of times. It's like we wouldn't have, you know, my granddad running my Fortune 500 uh-huh. company, right? But this is who we have running the world or running our country. So, yeah, no, ex- yeah, right, exactly. So I don't, um, and that's the problem, right? You know, because because obviously, uh, you know, at this point, you know, at this point, my guy's even older, so he's probably not going to do it. You know, so uh, I, I think, I think failing that, uh, it's really hard to see, right? I mean, it's it's. I don't think you know because I don't think there's anybody who's. I don't think like I think that what. You know, like if, because um, like if Bernie Sanders had won in 2016, I'm sure that he would have won the election, mm-hmm. and I think that if he. Um, and I think same in 2020. In fact, I think that like, I mean, I think Biden only really won in 2020 uh, because of of COVID. I think if you take that out of the equation, like it's it's very possible that Trump could have you know could have pulled it out. You know mm-hmm. that the uh, so, so you know. But I think the problem is that what Bernie I think could have done would be appeal to a lot of people who aren't like culturally liberal people on the basis of, uh, on the basis of the, the sort of like core, like economic pitch and the sort of core, like, you know, independent of the party establishments pitch. And unfortunately I don't really see right now who's like prominent enough that they could, that they could do it. Right. You know, who, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, assuming that, I mean, like, you know, despite what you just said about the, you know, your grandpa, right. You know, I mean, if, 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 you know, if, if somehow miraculously, right. You know, he wasn't going to run again in uh, 2024, I'd still support uh, Bernie Sanders, but I'm assuming that's not going to happen. So I think, so failing that, I, I don't know who's capable of sort of doing that. Right. Cause like, unfortunately somebody like, you know, the sort of people who have somewhat similar you know, who are like most similar in terms of policy, right? You know, who are like prominent figures, I just don't think would be as good as candidates, gotcha. right? So, at so I don't, yeah. yeah, at this, at this time, right? You know, it's like, I think so, like somebody like AOC, I think only really appeals within like a certain kind of subset of like Blue America, right? You know, so, what about, so I, um, Mayor Pete. Yeah, I mean, Mayor Pete, uh, you know, Mayor Pete would run, like, but like, and it, uh, but I just don't, I just don't think that he would be like, I mean, that, that just seems like, I mean, does. And I don't know. That's just one name. Up yeah. Most recently. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I mean, look, I'm sure given half a chance, right. I mean, I'm sure if like Biden says he's not going to run again, like mayor Pete seems like he will try again. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and maybe he would even get the democratic nomination, but, uh, but I mean, since he has, from my perspective, he's like a much younger, but also less likable version of Joe Biden, like politically, like he doesn't really seem that different. You know? So, <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't see, I don't, I don't um, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it seems like there's a certain kind of like democratic, like professional class person who really likes him, but like that, that sort of feels like it, you know, like, so, so I, I don't know. Um, I, I think that like, so I think within like sort of regular centrist Democrats, like, like Mayor Pete or Kamala Harris or whatever, like there are a bunch of those people who could run. Uh, I don't know if they would, um, I mean, obviously I don't like them politically because they're just regular centrist Democrats. I also don't know if like, I also don't know how good they would be as candidates. Uh, I think that, um, and that out of people who I would actually like better politically, um, you know, I, I think, Again, it's just really hard to see who could yeah. like who could fill those shoes right now, which is one of the reasons why, like, I mean, I think, yeah, I think if it's Biden Trump, unfortunately, right now, right, if nothing changes, you know, I do think probably Trump would win again. If it's and I guess it it would be like pretty much the only way that it's not Trump, I think, at this point is if he doesn't run because because yeah. uh, he he's not at this point. 
like at this point, like the Republican Party is like a cult of personality for Donald Trump. Like there's no way I, I could see him actually losing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like primaries if, if they happened, if they happened today. Um, like, I, I just don't know who it is that could, that could beat him. And, and I think that there's so much like, I, I think just the fact that that guy, just that he was so weird and he was like so hated outside of that camp, you know, that like, and they spent like sort of four years kind of bonding to him and like, you know, like how to defend him all the time. Right. I think at this point they're just way too emotionally attached to Trump to like not nominate him, but also, you know, again, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's two years away. Right. We still, it's, it is, it is entirely possible that somebody could play me this clip in 2024 and, I, and I'll be like, well, I was, I was very wrong about that. We were dead wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, uh, before we hang up here, man, where, where can people find what you're sure, doing? Sure. And uh, dude, I would love to have you on again. I mean, we could talk sure, sure, a of course. lot more too. So where can people yep. find your stuff? Okay. Uh, so I host a uh, podcast, YouTube show called Give Them an Argument. You can find that on YouTube or all the usual podcast places. Um, there's also a version on the uh, call it app uh, called uh, Give Me an Argument because people can call in. Uh, yeah, and, that. Nice. Uh, and um, and yeah, as far as everything else, you know, the books, the Jacobin column, everything else, probably the easiest thing is just go to uh, benburgess.com and yep. we're, I think we still need to update it, but I think just about everything is there. Yeah, and uh, Twitter, Ben Burgess as well. So, yep. awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And like I said, man, I really enjoyed almost like your refreshing take on a lot of this stuff that, that I hear. So, All right. Thank you so much, Seth. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.